How are we doing, mates? Welcome back to The Top Step. My name is Ryan Roland-Smith. Have a great episode this week. One of my favorite people I get to hang out with day in, day out, on the air, off the air. We have some great conversations. Obviously, 2020 was a little different, but we're hoping 2021 gets back to our regular routine. He does TV play-by-play. He does radio play-by-play. He also works on Fox Sports, does the Game of the Week. It's the very talented Mr. Aaron Goldsmith. Now, a couple things in this episode. Number one, the Bob Costas story when he was a kid, when he first met Bob Costas as a teenager, is absolute comedy gold. It's so good. And he goes into depth too. I haven't, I've heard the story before, but I haven't heard it in this kind of detail. He also talks about what he would do, what he would say to a young wannabe major league broadcaster and also to the day he found out he was going to be the next in line to be a Mariners radio and TV personality and how the interview process went and everything else with it. Make sure you go to www.thetopstep.com to check out past episodes. Make sure you click that subscribe button. I don't want to waste any more of your time. Please enjoy this episode as Aaron Goldsmith joins me on The Top Step. No matter what happens, Ryan Roland Smith has something to tell his grandkids right here. First appearance of the big leagues. <laughs> Thanks to Hall of Famer. Famer. <laughs> Especially if he strikes them out. Here comes the one-two pitch to Junior now. The breaking ball. He struck him out. Yeah, that will be a story for the rest of his life. As he strikes out Ken Griffey Jr. And the inning is over. But what an inning it was. And all right goldie dude it is good to see you man we said this before we jumped on this is the most interaction i've had with you pretty much in the year 2020 this is nuts man yeah i don't know if we actually even i don't think we did we never saw each other face to face during the baseball season right no, I mean, there was spring training, but I don't think you were there. I was only there for a few days. I know Gary was basically running the show. You may have been gone doing I know, college football or, or hoops or something something going on. I can't remember spring training. Uh, but besides that, man, it's I talked to you from the studio and that's that's it. What a, what a, what a year, man. What a year. How many times have you had to have that conversation though? Well, probably five times because that's the number of people that I've interacted with over the course of this year. So you're six. So this will be the sixth time would be my my rough estimate. Yeah, man, it's crazy. Uh, we see each other all the time. The crew, and this is true for every team and the Mariners in particular, we are with each other what feels like around the clock. We see one another yeah. more than we see our wives or our kids. It's just yeah. the nature of the beast, especially when you're on the road. And so to go a year like we did this year where – for example, guys like you and me aren't seeing each other face to face or even Rick, Gary, Dave, Shannon, Blowers, obviously, you go down the list. The time that we are together is so narrowed down. And even when I was doing TV this year, you know, blows in another booth. And I know. normally Mike and I chat for like hours before the start of a game, whether it be in the booth when he and I first arrive to a dinner, to back in the booth, to in between commercials or in between inning breaks during commercials. That was one of the things I was not prepared for is all the little conversations that you have during a commercial break about what you want to talk about when you come back. Hey, did I, I saw it this way. Is that what you saw? All those things. Hey, when we get to the seventh, do you want to bring this up if this happens? And, and 
like none of that, none of that was there this year. So uh, there were some things that we predicted would be a challenge that we were able to work through, but then little things like that, you, I never envisioned. And quickly you're thinking to yourself, there's nothing we can really do about this. Uh, yeah. So it was, it was bizarre, man. It was totally, but at least we got 60 games in. Yeah, that, that is true. We're, we're leading into 2020 and, and the way you guys had it set up and you mentioned it, you and, you and Mike Blowers, we're basically broadcasting the game. Couldn't even see each other. You could see each other on the monitor, though, right? Right. But when you had the fact that blow, like after the second, after 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 like the second inning, blow would just kind of pull one of these. <laughs> yeah. I just I just had this shot of like an empty room, just <laughs> like nothing, and it's like, hey, can you like I'm I'm like pushing the button. I'm like, hey, can you guys tell? Can you tell blow to pop on for a second? Yeah, what is up? What do you need? What's going on? So like I don't blame a man being comfortable. I would I do the same it. thing. I get it. But when you had when you had the third person, you'd have the plexiglass, right? So I, I always had to ask you this: Was this ever a conversation of because the third person had the plexiglass next to Mike? Why wouldn't they? And I don't want your boss or essentially my boss to get upset with me here. But <laughs> why would they not put you guys with the plexiglass situation? Well, simply because we had so Robbie, who you know very well. Yeah. Robbie Nielsen, who has been a part of Mariners TV production and sports television production in the Northwest for 50 years. Uh, he's a, a beast in the industry that nobody has ever heard of. He's our stage manager. The stage manager role, as you probably know, got whacked this year. And so they didn't want stage managers, the person who hands the promos and the cards to the broadcasters. Uh, also says, hey, you got five minutes. Hey, they want to talk to you when you don't have your headset on. He's just kind of the liaison between the truck and the booth. Well, they didn't want people passing paper back and forth for all the promos for bobbleheads and fireworks nights and all those things uh, and season tickets. And so the promos were on a screen for us to read. It was basically just a, a PowerPoint that stayed up there the whole time and our producer would scroll to what I was supposed to read. But then Robbie was still there, thankfully, he was still employed, but he was essentially running uh, a version of the score bug. And so Robbie and I had to be next to each other. And it just simply as boring of an answer as this is, hyphen, the constructs of the booth, Robbie needed to be in that booth. And to get to where I sit, you have to pass Robbie. Right. So you, they didn't want two people passing Robbie and then being within six feet. Like Robbie had to be anchored there. So it was just kind of, yeah, it's just the way that it works. So it's all so basically you're blaming Robbie, the nicest guy on the planet. Aaron yeah, Gold, man, is blaming Robbie for the for the fact that you and Mike couldn't couldn't gel and bond and and have the same chemistry. Well, there's the nothing. Glass situation would have been better. I promise you. <laughs> I gotta tell you though, Blow, we did we did dabble into this conversation from time to time on air. Blow basically treated the booth that he was in, which is the visiting TV booth, which is a, a large booth. And it's yeah. a major league TV booth at the ballpark. He treated that like he was moving into his college dorm. Yeah. Like there was <laughs> the only thing missing was a lava lamp and like a bean bag. Yeah, right. <laughs> he brought like a microwave and pallets of bottled water. There were frozen dinners, cans of soup, Easy Mac. There's probably ramen, fried noodles into the carpet in there. So he was, I mean, like, I don't think Mike's going back to a regular booth now. I think he's, he right. knows, he's like in your hotel room, man. He, he figured out what it's all about. Hey, speaking of that, now I, I wanted to ask you this, man. And 
we talked about it just a little bit before we jumped on. I'm nearly at the end of my, I've got a 14 day hotel quarantine. And this is not some wishy-washy quarantine where you can have a balcony or, I mean, these, these windows are shut. They take your room key. Like it's, it's literally like a, a military police person brought me up with my bags and made sure I went in my room. You can't step outside the room. It's full on. But I, I've got to ask you this, man. How would you do, looking at me right now, and again, if you listen to this, I'm basically sitting here and I've got, I've got my uh, my latte sculpture artwork behind me. I'll, I'll get into that in a second. How would you go, man, 14 days in a hotel room, Aaron Goldsmith, what would you do to pass the time? Yeah, it looks like a really awful hotel. The the blown glass light fixture behind you, <laughs> crafted the Chihuly art uh, that's hanging from the ceiling and the the 65 inch plasma that's wall mounted. It's, I don't know how you're doing it hyphen. I mean, I have to give it to you. This is, this is dedication to luxury is what you're living through right now. Hey, hey, real quick, just on that to my wife right now, obviously we have two kids, you got three, so you're outnumbered. But my wife, every time I'm like, oh, this is tough. She's like, you shut your mouth. What I wouldn't give to sit back, watch movies on that giant TV, have a sip of wine. I'm like, no, no, no. That's good for three days. But I, I want to know, give it to me, dude. What are some things you would do to pass the time? Aaron Goldsmith, what do you got? 14 days. You're telling me I cannot walk outside of the room? No chance. I mean, I'm nothing that nobody else isn't doing. I mean, I'm, I'm firing up Netflix and everything else and... Maybe try to work in some lunges once in a while. And I'm just eating like a ton of pizza and banana splits, man. Like that's that's all there is. I'm letting it go. Like I, it's all over. I'm not shaving, that's for sure. There is there is the Uber Eats right now. You do have the Uber Eats option, but they do put on this surcharge. The I guess it's like a COVID hotel surcharge or something. It's ridiculous. Like I'm talking. Like I've got the I've got the golden arches McDonald's like staring me down the street, staring out like way down the street, 29th floor, mind you. I know you were ripping me for having a nice hotel room, but I can see it in the distance. It's just calling my name. But literally, if you're gonna get like a you know a burger, it's gonna cost you $25. So there's that aspect as well where you're just like, dude, that so there's again, I, I'm I'm sitting here complaining. I mean, people do it way tougher than me. I'm not gonna lie, but I got to, would you be, you mentioned the lunges, man. Is Aaron Goldsmith, are you using this 14 days to, to get in shape or what? Well, we definitely did during the regular quarantine when we came back from spring training, because there's nothing else to do but parent and chase your kids. Right. So that happened naturally. But yeah, man, I'd be like, um, like, I know you're a, uh, you're big into the, what's like the grappling thing that you're <laughs> like a black belt in. What is that again? <laughs> Are you, are, you yeah. talking, are you talking about uh, you talking about Krav Maga or what are we talking about here? Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly, man. Like I would be taking it out on some chairs in there, and <laughs> yeah, I'd be I'd be full on like getting some bath towels. I mean, you probably have like some you know like organic Pima cotton bathrobes in there. Actually, they might be silk. They might I don't know if they can hold your strength because you're like you're like two sixty plus. You're much bigger than me. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, like maybe pull that over a, a, the door, close the door, and. Like, let's do some uh, some type of curl action. I mean, work on the lats. What's going on? See, I was hoping for a serious. I was hoping for a serious answer here because I walked into this. I was on the plane, and you, you know, when you're sitting on a long flight, you're like, you start having these like self reflection periods. I was like, oh, 14 days, I'm going to be on my own, so I'm going to, you know, start getting into you know meditation and doing yoga and all this, <laughs> and really find myself. Dude, I get six, seven days in, I'm still watching the same Netflix, just zombie scrolling through Twitter. You know what I mean? Like I'm just falling into the same trap. I'm like, I've just wasted six days. I should have used this time effectively. But 
dude, just it, it's it's not easy, man. I'm telling you right now, it is tough. That's for sure. You know, like I'm kind of with your wife, man. I understand how tough this is for you, boohoo hyphen. <laughs> but like, you can take yourself back. You're a hands-on dad. Take yourself back to like the earliest days of quarantine. Oh yeah. I mean, it was, it was, and it remains, hopefully, the most difficult chapter of our parenting lives. I mean, we have a my oldest, my son just turned six. He's crushing online kindergarten these days. My middle child, my only daughter, turns four at the end of the month. And we had a baby last October, so he just turned one. So we've got essentially six, four, and one. And it's like, it's bananas, man. Yeah. It's just, it's, I, I've had a lot of conversations with people who have kids who are older, who are in maybe upper levels of elementary school pushing junior high, high school. Like, I don't know what would be more difficult. The high school element where your kids are missing the socialization of their friends and their core. And like these, these high school years are so finite. They go yeah. away so quickly and they're so developmental to you as a human being. Um, not that kindergarten is not, or the chapter that we're in, which is we're just taking off the runway with one kid in kindergarten. And when we are doing online kindergarten man it's like one of us has to be just anchored next to him right the whole time and then it's two on one with a four and a one-year-old so and at the end of the day heather and i look at each other and we're like did we do anything today did we (laughs) did we we're like (laughs) no no absolutely it's a hard no that's a hard no but we're like we're just we're keeping the walls upright from this right. whole place just crashing down on us. But, you know, we're all together. We're healthy and we're still smiling. So that's a good thing. It is hard, man. I mean, we've got Kennedy. She's five doing the, she's doing the kindergarten too. And it's literally, I sit there and Amanda's way better than, than me at it. That's for sure. But you're right. You have to literally sit right next to him. And, you know, I mean, Kennedy's not great with just the screen. Like a lot of obviously five, sure. six year olds, but you know, there's the, um, Oh, hey, can, can everyone mute? Can everyone? I've got to say, man, the teachers, like, you think about, they're, they're doing an amazing job, man. And I'm not just trying to, you know, kiss some butt here or anything. I, I went on, I've done a couple Zoom sessions with, with like elementary schools, like just to jump on and, you know, whatever. And I'm, I feel for those teachers. You, you're not kidding. And so, again, now that you're making me feel bad about sitting in this hotel quarantine. Thank you. Home, Good. Right? Good. I, I do. I, I hear you, man. I should never be complaining. That's for sure. But again, okay. I think we're done here. I think yeah. we're done. Yeah. <laughs> I think because Heather and I, Heather and I were saying in the, in, during the early parts of this, we were saying like, can you imagine what this would be like with no kids? Like you can't work yeah. in our case, like there's no baseball. Like we were doing some, some Microsoft team things, right? Some online things, for YouTube right. or whatever, but it wasn't anything like obviously our normal job. And it's like, well, we would just, this would be amazing. But then there are people who maybe have their kids out of the house or haven't had kids yet or don't have kids period. And they're like, well, I'm just bored out of my mind. I would love to have something to chase after and something that can kind of help fill me up a little bit with some yeah. joy, which obviously kids do. So it's, it's, I always have been trying to remind myself like whichever side of the fence you're on, yeah, you're always wanting something else because it's the most unideal situation that we could probably realistically think of. But uh, yeah, you should feel, but bottom line, man, yeah, you should feel terrible right now. You should feel you're, really bad. You, you, you are, you make a great point. Imagine not having any kids right now. You can't work. I mean, I, I get, I, I do get sick of people. I roll my eyes like, oh, my Peloton um, is going offline or something. I don't want to hear it. 
Try having some kids in the house. I swear to God. Right. Like, yeah. It's like, hey, enjoy your Peloton ride at like 930 at yeah. night, bro. Okay. <laughs> like that's when you're going to take it. Okay. When you're just <laughs> a zombie. Don't tell me about that. Exactly. Yeah. Now uh, you do make a good point. I, I will get off this call. I will get off this podcast and kind of not take it for granted. That's for sure. The Thank you. Reevaluate, reevaluate everything in your life is what I hope happens at the yeah. end of this conversation. That's a great point. Now, hey, speaking of getting back to you, dude, I, now you've got a picture. It's funny. You've got a picture. One of the best stories I've ever heard. And I'll get, I want to get to that in a second. I see Bob Costas, some sort of frame thing right up here. Oh yeah. How do I do this? How do I do this? Yeah, there you go. Perfect. Yeah, that guy. Is that, now, is that what I'm looking at right now? Is that attached to a story that I heard on a bus? My first road trip as a media personnel, you told a story, classic Bob Costa story. If you, you know what, let's just, let's just get right into it. I want to, I want to hear this. I want to, I want everyone to hear this story, Bob Costas and you, when you first met Bob Costas. Yeah, this thing is ridiculous and it's, it's truly <laughs> unbelievable. So I'm a high school student in St. Louis and Bob Costas's kid is playing like freshman baseball or something against my school. And so Bob comes to the school to watch his kid play baseball. And I went to a small high school and like you were, right? Like, like I was like one of the sports guys, right? Like I, I played sports. I talked sports. Like that was it. Aaron and sports. Like that's all that I have going on is just yep. sports, Cardinals, Rams, blues, all that stuff. So anybody who knows me, like that's my identity in high school. And my high school principal, again, small high school. So I knew him better than most kids would know their principals at a thousand kid high school. And he knew that about me. And we had a pretty good relationship because every year he would hire a couple of students to go work for him in the summer on his house. He's like a big do-it-yourself type of guy. And so I had gotten to know him pretty well because I worked for him over the summer. So he, he is strolling the campus and going around watching these sports events this day at the school. And he goes to this freshman baseball game and lo and behold, he sees Bob Costas there. So he approaches Bob Costas, welcomes him to the school and says, Hey, uh, I actually have a, I know a, a young student uh, here at the school and he really wants, he's very interested in sports broadcasting. Would you be willing to speak with him about it? And Bob being a total gentleman said, absolutely. Here's my card have him call my secretary and set something up. And just to time out for a second, yes, I had said a few times, oh, I watch a lot of Sports Center. period. Like that was me being interested in sports broadcasting, right. right? Like I hadn't read anything, I hadn't talked to anybody, I had no real interest, but it's like the high school version of having interest is gotcha. saying like, that'd be cool one day, right? Yeah. So uh, my principal approaches me the next day with this card and the information and he's ecstatic. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this. This is unbelievable. So I, I call up the, his secretary and we set up a time early in the summer. It was springtime, of course. And we set up a time for me to go. He has an office in St. Louis. And so I'm 
like wearing my only suit and my first and only suit that I've ever had. And I'm like, I'll knot it up with a tie and everything. And I weigh like a hundred pounds and <laughs> I'm terrified and nervous. And I've got all these questions written out for Bob Costas. And he had somewhat recently come out with a book and it was called the fans case for baseball Fairball by Bob Costas. And so I bought the book. Like this was my prep, right? Like I bought the book and I read the book because I thought I so I want to show him that I'm not just some, I mean, I am, but I'm not just some knucklehead yeah. loser high school kid who wants to meet Bob Costas. Right. So I, I read the book and I bring it with me and I sit down in the lobby and his receptionist is like the nicest woman ever. She welcomes me, Aaron, so great to have you. Bob is looking forward to speaking with you. Please take a seat here. He's just on the phone, but he'll be with you shortly. So I sit down in this like mahogany leather chair <laughs> and you can hear his voice in the background because he's got his yeah. office door open. And like, I hear the voice of Bob Costas live in person. And I'm, I'm immediately sweating through my shirt, right? <laughs> and so I hear him hang up the phone. I hear the chair squeak as he gets up and starts walking out in this small foyer where I'm sitting. And like, lo and behold, here comes Bob Costas. Like, this is happening. This is really happening. I'm going to talk to Bob Costas. So he puts out his hand. And I stand up and I put out my hand and we shake hands. And I say, Mr. Costas, it is an honor. It's such a pleasure to meet you. Thank you for doing this. And he looks me in the eyes and he says, Eric, it's my pleasure. Anytime. Come on back to my office. And, and in the <laughs> haze and fog of my nervous excitement and my starstruck mentality, I'm thinking, I, I think he just called me Eric. <laughs> I, I would have done the same thing. Not Eric. I, I would. I, that's happened to me before, man. That's happened. To, it's like, oh, hey, Brian. Hey, Brian. Hey, <laughs> I'm, like, I'm too like, I'm like, yeah, maybe now because I'm a grown man. You're a big I'm, deal. You're a big well, deal yeah, now. You got a podcast. A big deal. Exactly. Yeah. Um, with the 66 million people listening to this podcast right now, they understand how big <laughs> of a deal I am. But I wouldn't have corrected him either, dude. So he's he's he said Eric straight off the bat. So right out of the gates, like top of the first inning, first pitch to the game. It's Eric, right? <laughs> so I get back into his office, and his office. It's like close your eyes and imagine what you would hope. Bob Costas's office would look like, and it was even better, like right. palatial, like dark wood, right? Framed yeah. pictures of Bob with every notable sports figure to ever walk the earth, like oh, autographed items from stadiums, like everything, right? It just, you're inundated with Bob Costas is a huge deal memorabilia. So he sits down behind this like desk that even Judge Judy would be like, that's too big of a desk. <laughs> enormous desk, okay? And I brought, like mini disc players were a big deal at the time. Like that was cutting edge stuff. We're, we're the same age, I, I was a it. cutting edge guy. Yeah. yeah. So I bring this mini disc player with this small microphone and I say, uh, hey, Mr. Costas, would, would it be okay if I recorded our conversation? I would love to be able to go back and listen to it later. And he said, absolutely. So I'm setting up this mini disc player and he, he reaches to the front of his desk and he opens up this big glass container and he says, would you like a gumball? They're sugarless. 
like like a 16 year old kid is like oh i don't oh they aren't okay yes i'm in thank you and it's a gumball these gumballs hyphen have been around since the 86 world series i mean they are you could not crush them with a garbage truck okay so i'm like trying to like work through this old like decades old gumball mr costas and as I'm like plugging up my mini disc player, like we were off to a bad start, right? At that so, point, I got a question for you though. At that point, couldn't you, I know you're only a high school kid, but couldn't you at that point say, like use, like drop a hint, use the fact that you got a little recorder and say, um, okay, Bob Costas uh, recording with Aaron Goldsmith to somehow drop the hint that your name's Aaron, not Eric? Hyphen, there's about a hundred things I could have done to prove the point that my name was anything but Eric. Like maybe just saying, Mr. Cox is actually, my name is Aaron, but I wasn't going to do that. I was terrified. Like I was right. terrified, utterly starstruck. I'd never, inter a, I'd never interviewed anyone before in my life and I'd never met anybody famous at all. So we got everything going on working against me right now. So I get everything set up. I'm working through this gumball. It's not going great. We start talking and he is like amazing. I mean, he's pulling out scorecards that he took calling the all-star game like six wow. years before that. And he's, he's like working through mock calls. Like if you do this in a call, like all this stuff is just so over my head. I've no, I, I mean, I, I know what he's talking about, but I can't picture what that is like. Um, and he keeps saying multiple times. Well, uh, Eric, you've heard it in a broadcast <laughs> when, well, Eric, I'm sure you've noticed before when a play-by-play -play man refer. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is like the, the hole is continuing to be dug right. deeper and deeper with every minute of this conversation. And once he calls you Eric, done. like the third time, man, it's done. You're Eric. Like change your birth certificate, man. It's <laughs> yeah. over. You are Eric. So I, I also at this time in my life have no social feel for etiquette, grace, timing. Yeah. And so I'm in my head, I'm like, well, I'm just talking to this guy till he tells me to leave. <laughs> like, I, I, I wasn't going to leave, right? right? I'm in Bob Costas's office, man. Bring me some pizza or something. Like, yeah, I'm not right. going anywhere. Right. So after, I'm not kidding you, man. After 45 minutes, wow, his phone rings. And I'm sure it was his secretary, like, bailing him out. And his phone rings and he goes, Eric, I've got time for one more question after this. And he, like, says, yes, yes, no, no, hangs up the phone. So I asked one more question. We wrap this thing up and I'm like pretty disappointed about the Eric thing, but I'm pretty stoked about everything else. This is great. I can get past the Eric thing. So we're walking out of his office. He gets up. I get up. We take a couple steps towards the door and he says, hey, would you like me to sign your book? And truthfully, hyphen, I had zero desire or I shouldn't say desire. I had zero intentions of having my book signed. I yeah. simply brought it as a prop to show that I kind of knows something, even though I knew nothing. Yeah. It was like this false bravado of confidence. Yeah. And so he offers this and I'm like genuinely kind of surprised and taken aback. And I said, yeah, that, yeah, that'd be great. Thank you. So I hand him the book. We walk back to the desk. He puts it down on the desk and I'm, I'm now looking around. My eyes are scanning his office. I'm looking at all the autographs and the pictures. And I just hear him after three or four seconds of silence say, is that Eric with a C or a K? Um my god no and i turn my head i look down at the oh. desk and he has opened the book to the title page pen to paper pen 
leading on paper with ERI, and he's just waiting for my go my go oh, sign man. for C or K. And I did what any smart person would do. I said, with a C. Right. <laughs> I just chose one. And C came to mind before K. Oh, it's with a C. So he writes a very nice note to Eric, so forth and so on. And then he closes the book. And man, it's like, it's all over now. Like, it's all over. This has been, a com- now there's documentation of my social fail, right? right? So he closes the book. My heart just sinks. He hands me the book. We walk out the door. We walk into this small, small foyer of his office. And there's his secretary, this very incredibly nice, like Angela Lansbury type who set this whole thing up. Yeah. And he's, and I say, uh, thank you so much for your time, Mr. Casas. It was, it was great to meet you. And I, I thank his secretary as well. And she says, oh, it was our pleasure, Aaron. It was great uh, to meet you. And Bob hears her call me Aaron. And Bob says, well, Sue, his name isn't Aaron. His name is Eric. And then she looks at Bob and says, no, it's not Bob. His name is Aaron. And now they're just full Top Gun missile lock. Oh, man. Get on me. It's like this triangle of tension, right? (laughs) Sue, Bob, Goldsmith. Sue, Bob, Goldsmith. Sue, Bob, Goldsmith. They're staring me down. I'm just owl eyes going back and forth between the two of them. And at that point, I'm thinking to myself, like, I I have to come clean now. Like, there's there's no way out. There's no escaping. So I take a big, deep breath, summon what small courage I have. And I said, you know, actually, Mr. Costas, my my name is, and he cuts me off and says, good then, then it's Eric. Yep. Sure. It's got to go. See you later. Goodbye. And I just turn around and I get out of there as fast wow. as I can. Like, and I'm, I'm like, not about to cry, but I'm about to cry. Like, this is a horrible, horrible fail on my part. Right. Right. So I get home. My mom is so excited to talk to me about this. It's like, the, this is like the biggest thing that's happened in my life yeah. to date, you know, and, and I'm just a mess and so mad. And I tell my principal, I've calmed down by this point. So what happened, as I step away from the microphone for a second. Here it is. The original is he writes, to Eric, see you in the booth someday, Bob Costas, which is right there. So on the the left is the original. Yeah, this is the original. So I tell my principal about this as I just awkwardly hold this framed thing. And he writes... Bob a thank you note and says, but can I ask one more favor? So for Christmas later that year, he, my principal hands me another copy of the book. Oh, wow. And, and I'm like, Hey man, like I remember what happened, right? <laughs> like I don't need to be reminded. And yeah. well, what he did was he asked Bob to sign a new one and the new one, he says to Aaron, but let's see if I can get this in there. Oh, wrong yeah. way. To Aaron, but may I call you Eric? Maybe you'll be the second Aaron in the hall of fame broadcasters ring. Best wishes, Bob. Oh man, that is so. So yeah, so I had these two books. I had the two versions of the books like on my bookshelf for from that time until 2013. Mm -hmm. And this was in like 2001 uh, until we moved to Seattle. And once we got here, I thought, you know, this is I got to get this frame. So we had we had it cut out. And for those who are only listening, the the cover is. The covers in the middle, and then we they very skillfully cut out the the title page of both books, and 
the first version with Eric is on the left side of the title page Sorry. of the cover. And then the, the second version is on the right side. So it's like, it's the most one of a kind piece of memorabilia that I'll ever have. And that took 20 minutes. So I apologize for that, but it's uh it's an insanely cool story that uh, I, has taught me that sometimes when mistakes happen, sometimes those mistakes are uh, yeah. better than things going perfectly as it turns out, because if he just signed a book, it, would have just been a pretty run of the mill. I met Bob Costa's story, yeah. but instead it's like this once in a lifetime, unbelievable thing. Hey, two things on that. Have you ran into Bob Costas in your professional career? Like as far as being, since you've been a major league broadcaster, have you ran into him at all? Yeah. So, so the funny thing is my first year. So in 2013, when we go to play the Yankees, Bob was doing the MLB network showcase game of Mariners Yankees that night. Right. So Costas was there and I had told like Blowers and Rick of the story in Kremen and they were like, dude, you gotta, you gotta go talk to him. Right. Like you gotta, you gotta go introduce yourself, reintroduce yourself and tell him that you're here. Like he'll think like, how incredible is that? That's that amazing. This, amazing. this loser kid interviewed Bob Costas, didn't know anything. And now he's yeah. in a big league broadcast booth. And so I, I did, I went over there and I introduced myself and, I said, you know, you probably don't remember this, but it was over 10 years ago and blah, blah, blah. And I, I regret it now, but I understand. So I guess I regret many things in my interaction with Bob Costas, but I was so embarrassed to say, I don't know if you remember me, I'm the loser that you called Eric, but my name is Aaron. And then you signed a second book and now it's framed. It makes this great. I mean, like I, I felt badly that I was yeah. like reminding him of his error. So I, all I said was, Hey, you, you gave me 45 minutes of your life when you shouldn't have. And Hey, here I am now. And, and he was, he thought that was very cool, obviously, but I did not say much really? to everyone's disappointment. I did not say I was the guy you called Eric. Uh, so, so even to this day, he doesn't know that story or doesn't know the fact that on your wall, I mean, you're, you know, I mean, it's, you're not just a fan, you're a major league play-by-play broadcaster and you do national games. You, you know, you've been doing it, you're in the top 1% of success stories when it comes to so many kids who want to do this, right? High school kids or college kids who say, I want to be a major league broadcaster. So Bob Costas does not know that that two, the two um, signed book copies are on your wall right now because of the name. He just assumes that you guys spent 45 minutes together. So he knows, he knows that he called me Eric because he signed the second book, right? But yeah. I don't think, I did not give him enough information for him to connect the dots that the Eric Aaron kid is now the kid That's who introduced himself to you at Yankee Stadium in 2013. Yeah. Have I done another disservice here? Do I continue to blunder this, this situation? I feel like no, I have. I'm talking about because when I, the way I'm hearing it is back. I mean, this is way back in what? The mid to late 90s, right? When you're a high school this kid. Is, it's 2001. Okay. Oh, 2001. All right. So 2001 till now, I mean, this, we're talking Bob Costas here, right? So what I'm saying, if I'm right. Bob Costas and I spent this time with Aaron Goldsmith, the high school kid or the, the young kid, yeah, I probably maybe vaguely remember it. I'm sure he, he's done it a thousand times. But then when someone walks into Yankee Stadium in a broadcast booth and says, oh, by the way, you just spent 45 minutes with me, I'd be like, okay, that's great. But I'm saying he doesn't quite know or remember that, oh, man, I butchered this kid's name. I'm just no. saying like if that was you, I mean, Aaron, obviously you've probably had some interactions with a high school kid who's come in and wanted to record you or looked up to you or, or you know, being starstruck by you, right? If there's a situation that years down the track, he came back and said, oh, by the way, you butchered my name. It'd be a pretty cool <laughs> thing to see the kid in a major league broadcast booth. For sure. 
but the, and and so I have continued to mess this whole thing up clearly, and I agree with everything you're saying. <clears throat> One thing that is worth noting, by the way, is that because some people m- maybe after, if they actually paid attention to the 30 minute story that I just told, the pack the part about me recording it on a mini disc, I still have the recording. I have the whole thing. I have him saying with a C or a K and me saying with a C. Like I got it all, man. I was even rolling then. Like the whole thing is in pristine audio form, which I then converted to MP3 once MP3s became a thing. So like, I've got it, man. And it's, that is as valuable as the signatures and the frame thing on my wall, because it's hearing, there's nothing worse to your self-confidence than going back and listening to yourself (laughs) in the middle of puberty. Like, especially if you're, especially if your livelihood is solely based on speaking for a living. Right. Uh, I sound awful, (laughs) awful, like the worst. And it has taught me when, cause yes, like anybody, it's not just me. It's all of us in this line of work. We get emails all the time from young men and women who want to get into this line of work. And now with social media, we get uh, interaction from that platform as well, or platforms. And ultimately they end up sending you links or sending you MP3s and you listen to them and you say, this is good. You should work on this. Keep doing this. You're on the right track. Right. And like, let's face it, man, you listen to most of these kids and they're all terrible. Like they're all terrible. I was terrible. Bob Costas was terrible. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Bob might not have been terrible. Like, (laughs) like Bob and Scully and like three others in the history of broadcasting probably weren't terrible, but everyone else was awful. And you're going to be awful because you like nobody gets on a bike and just rides a bike. It takes time. So the point being, I know what I sounded like as a high schooler. And I'll guarantee you, I didn't change that much from 16 to let's call it mid, mid college age. Yeah. So Voice has changed so much. And I always remind myself that when I listen to kids, because you could easily hear something and say, well, this, this is not going to work. Like this is never going to happen. Yeah. But if somebody listened to me then, or even five years after that, they would say, this is, (laughs) this is never going to happen. So, Hey, good things can happen, which is uh, a good thing to remember from time to time. Are you like most people that you really struggle listening to your, listen to your own voice? Are you comfortable with it? I've gotten more and more comfortable listening to my own voice, but man, I'm like, because I'm just like, whatever, this is how I sound. But a year or two before I I couldn't a watch myself or b listen to myself because I'm like, God, that's what I sound like. Oh my goodness. So to me, the biggest challenge, the importance of going back and listening to your broadcasts, it cannot be underscored enough. It is so critical, especially especially when you're in the minors. I mean, it's it's true at all levels, but when you're in the minors, there is truly zero people who will likely give you any type of feedback. Like the yeah. only feedback you get as a minor league broadcaster is if you get a better job. Like if you're in single A and you get a double A job or double A to triple A or whatever it might be, whatever the next rung up is. Other than that, there aren't many teams, if any, who your boss calling games for the Lansing lug nuts is going to say, hey, uh, I was listening to the fourth inning last night and I really thought with one out and two on, you started talking blah, blah, blah. Like that doesn't happen. Right. So it's up to you to develop an ear for it and to be able to recognize when you go back and listen to things, what was good, what was bad, timing, feel, 
How often are you saying the score? How often are you saying the inning, the situation? All those things, right? And so now when I do that, and I just recently did it, I went through some of my TV games from last year. Oh, I mean, it is like the worst thing ever. It will crush, crush your self-confidence. I mean, like I, I spent a good two hours going through just like cherry pickings, just scrolling ahead to just a random inning and listening. And I walk out of my office and like late at night and Heather's looking at me like, what is wrong? And it's truly, I was shattered is a strong word, but it was like, it fractured me (laughs) because you go back and you, there are things that happened during the game where you can't, like, maybe I didn't hear what my partner said clearly because whatever my producer was talking in my ear, or I was thinking about this note for the pitcher or the batter and I'm only half listening and yeah. he says something that I should, I mean, or the call itself was not just fundamentally a bad call. Cause that's going to happen. Everybody's going to stub their toe, but just delivery, what you emphasize. Um, it could be almost anything. And when you go back and watch it, it makes you think that you are awful. And there's some people listening to this right now who might agree with that. <laughs> but in reality, you you have to you have to do that because you have to go through that pain. Because the war, I mean, the worst thing that I think could happen is you do this for 30 or 40 years and you never listen. Yeah. And you, you're saying the same things, you get the same crutches, right? You're relying on the same old whatever, and you don't ever know it because nobody tells you and you're not listening. Yeah. I mean, you're you're harming yourself. So you have to be your hardest critic. And if you're not, man, I hope you know a lot of smart, honest people who will tell you what's going on. And most of us don't know enough people who will really be honest, tell you that what you're doing is bad and who have a knowledge of the profession to be able to instruct or at least give their opinion. So yeah, man, it's tough. It's it's one of the most difficult parts of the job. You know, you you make a great point because, you know, when I jump on air no one tells you like everyone just says oh yeah that's great man because it's moving so fast that people number one don't have time number two you know like if i'm sitting next to you and i say hey aaron sometimes i feel like i'm bugging you hey what do you think about this a couple years ago um you did there was a time where you said hey man try this and try that and it was just like hey there was that that element where you may have felt uncomfortable telling me but it was the biggest i ran with it because you know you obviously trust the opinion but you're right it's tough to get that feedback what, what about, what are some of the things, speaking of that, what are some of the pet peeves you have or the, the crutches you have when you hear other people on air? Because you obviously, you're in the business. So you pick up on things other people probably don't pick up on or things that you do when you go back on your ta- to, to your tapes when you're on TV. What are some of the things that just drive you nuts? Boy, there's, <laughs> the funny thing is People wonder who, who people who are in this line of work at a low level who are trying to climb to the majors. I mean, like when I started this, I was in independent league baseball. I then went to the Cape League, which is summer wood bat. Like I was at the lowest rung, right? So I remember what that was like going from the lowest rung to as, as high of a calling as there is calling major league baseball. And they wonder, like, what's the difference? What's the difference between the guy calling single A ball in the Cal League versus a guy calling Mariners, Rangers, oftentimes it's not just one thing. It's probably two dozen little things that add up to be a major thing, right? Like voice quality is not that big of a deal. It's just not. There are so many big league broadcasters who have 
what you would maybe great as just an average voice who are tremendous, who are maybe among the best in the game because of what they say and how they say it and their timing and their feel. Um, like if you want to talk about like little nitpicky things that I typically give critiques to when people send me their tape, like a lot of young play-by-play guys don't speak in a present active tense. Mm-hmm. To me, when you speak in a, a past tense in a live sporting event, it doesn't sound good. It needs to be, uh, this ball is rattling around in the corner, right? Yeah. Like not, it rattled in the corner. It's happening right now. You're right. creating, in a subtle way, you're creating urgency to it by saying now, not it happened already. Uh, one of the biggest things I think that I hear all the time, and I hadn't even, it's funny how we learn things from all people in this line of work. I had an intern who worked with me in 2011 who brought this to my attention and he's now doing great things with the university of Michigan, their play-by-play voice for, for men's basketball named Brian Bush. When, how many times do you hear a broadcaster say going back on it is Ryan Roland Smith racing to second base is Goldsmith. Like when you and I are talking, when do we ever say, yeah, Heather went back on it. Couldn't get there. Right. Right. Like, no, we say like Ryan is running to second Goldsmith is jumping at the wall. I mean, we don't ever mess up the verb and the noun. Right. Right. We, yeah. we all. So but the reason guys do it, I believe, because this is why I used to do it, is because you don't know who it is. And so you're buying time. Right. You're buying a yeah. second and a half to look down in your book and think, OK, who was the runner at second base who's now rounding third is Goldsmith. Right. Or oh, who's the left fielder? They just brought somebody in off the bench going back to the corner. Jumping is Roland Smith. No, like that's why you're doing it. And so. That, as soon as that light went off in my head, I tried really hard to have a clean and clear grasp of personnel on the field. And if I didn't know, there, there's a better way to camouflage your uncertainty while you quickly glance down yeah. to fill it with a, a verb of some kind and then punctuate it with the name. Because otherwise, it, it's just not natural. It's not a natural thing. And you're, you're just stalling. You're stalling to figure out what's going on. You know, it's interesting just with that too. Sometimes I'm so worried about how I sound or my presentation and I completely have zoned out of what's actually happening. And I've even dropped the old, and this is like, your head is going to explode when I say this and admit it. I mean, I don't know if I've done it like major league games, but I've said, oh, especially not on a pre and post because that's a lot easier than, than in-game. In-game, there's nothing tougher and no big of a challenge. But I've even said, oh, yeah, hey, third baseman came in on that bunts. <laughs> like, oh my, because I just flat out like just froze on what that guy's name was. You know, I'm just like, oh, my God. Well, that was actually, it's funny you say that. One of the most tangible pieces of play-by-play advice and critique that I ever got was from the voice of the Rangers named Eric Nadell, who got inducted to the Hall of Fame. He won the, Fork, the Frick Award a number of years ago. And the Mariners were gracious enough to let me miss a couple of games to fly to Cooperstown and, and watch him uh, go in. I, I got to know Eric a little bit when I was the voice of the Rangers double-A team in Frisco, Texas, which is a Dallas suburb. So yeah. it's, it's right there near Arlington. And and Eric was very kind to me in those two years and listened to my tape. And, and I had a call just like that. I said, 
Oh, here's the pitch. Swinging its line to the gap in right center field. Runner rounding third and scoring. And the center fielder comes up and throws into second base. Runner rounds second on his way to third. And he slides and he's safe. Two-run score on a two-run double, right? And, look, I thought there's nothing wrong with that. Like, to me, that was like a great cheat that nobody was picking up on that made for a smoother call because I wasn't bopping my head up and down trying to figure out who was at third and who was at first and where are they now. And he said to me very bluntly, he said, when you say run around third, I know you don't know who it is. Yeah. I'm like, oh, man, come on. Is that obvious? Yes, it is that obvious. So you ha- like sometimes I even will put my pencil or my, my pen next to the name of where that lead runner is on my book. If I feel like right. I can't remember, maybe it's a guy who just got called up a funny name I'm not familiar yeah. with, early game, whatever, so that when I glance down real quick, I know exactly where I'm looking. I have a basically I've bookmarked it, right? Yeah. So I'm not scanning all over the place. It might save you half a second, but that half a second's a big deal in a big pivotal yeah. call. So yeah, man, I've done that too. I've done it as well. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I hopefully I don't do it anymore, but I've definitely been there. And you, I mean, obviously you and I, you know, and you do it every single day, and I get to 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 dabble in it. But even viewers at home, subconsciously they have they have that feeling like eh, he's not very well versed on what's happening. I feel like. And there's that, that feeling of, I probably know more than him, you know, when, when they're listening to it. Hey, I want to go back real quick. I want to go back to, you mentioned you had this thing, this, this, this thing with Bob Costas and that story, unreal story. But when you were in high school, that wasn't that time where you're like, man, I just laser focus. I want to be play by play. This happened later on for you, right? Where you felt like this is what I want to get into. Absolutely. I have the most unromantic story of getting to where I am now in terms of, the focus of becoming a broadcaster. Almost every guy, almost every guy in this line of work knew they wanted to do this in high school or grade school yeah. even. Yeah. And they, you know, I listened to tapes under my pillow and all this. I recreated games. Nope. <laughs> Not, like I wish like, that'd be awesome. That'd make a yeah. great story. Yeah. Um, no, I, I had, I listened and I watched to play by play in sports of my hometown teams in St. Louis all the time. And never did I even consider that as a career option. I never even thought of it. I was a history major in college. Uh, I I had no idea what I wanted to do, (laughs) what I wanted to do with that history major, but I loved history. And I was originally a business major, didn't like it, couldn't retain it, couldn't remember it, switched to history because I loved it. And I thought that it taught me skills that were transferable to a multitude of professions, right? Critical thinking, researching, writing, reading, the thinking part of it in particular. I mean, you really have to be a critical analytical thinker to be able to uh, converse in that setting where you're trying to make an argument for one thing or another that happened in history. I never knew that that would be such a big part of my college studies. So I, I literally woke up one morning a month and a half before I graduated college and it just the light bulb it was like I should I should try talking about sports on the radio I remember the moment waking up and it was the first thought that I had and it was just crystal clear now that being said there's still a lot of fog I thought I wanted to get into sports talk like play-by-play was still nothing that I had considered so I went to a, a trade school I graduated with a history degree I got a retail job I proudly moved in with mom and dad and I went to a trade school in St. 
was called the Broadcast Center. And it was this nine-month work-at-your-own-pace program for people who wanted to get into radio who knew nothing about radio, which was me to a T. Right. And so they taught you all the behind-the-scenes things, the, the production of it, Adobe Audition, Pro Tools, how to make commercials, yeah. uh, how, to, how to read the news on the radio, how to write the news for radio, how to write commercials, to be DJs. It had nothing to do with play-by-play. -play. It was really news or DJs, but I, I couldn't even turn a microphone on. So anything they were going to teach me was going to be more than I knew. Yeah. And so once I went there, I still had this mindset of, I'm going to get into sports doc. And my advisor there just kept hammering on me. Hey man, there's this minor league baseball team, this independent league baseball team across the river in Illinois right across the river from Bush Stadium. Yeah. We had a kid last year who got an intern, the internship there doing two innings of play-by-play -play for home games. You should check it out. And I gave him the Heisman. I put him off. I'm not into that. Play-by-play -play doesn't seem like something I want to do. Yeah. And he just kept pounding me with it and pounding me with it. And finally, he just wore me down. And so I got a tape deck and a microphone, like a legit rectangular battery-operated Casio tape deck. And I went back to this college that I graduated from. I went to these men's and women's D3 college basketball doubleheaders on the weekends. Took me six games, three weekends to get five minutes of uninterrupted play-by-play -play that wasn't good, but wasn't atrocious. And all they wanted, all the Gateway Grizzlies wanted was five minutes of uninterrupted play-by-play. -play. Right. So I sent them a tape of five minutes of awful D3 basketball. And by the way, like I was not going to prep. There was no way I was going to prep on the other team. Yeah. Like <laughs> I got a retail job, man. Come on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Give me a break. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So like I knew all the kids on my team, quote unquote, because I went to school there and I, I knew a lot of these kids. And so the kids on the other team, I just made up their last names. Like my wife at the time, my girlfriend, her last name was Harmon. So like the best player on each team on the visiting team for the men's and the women's, it was Harmon, right? <laughs> and like, if I saw you earlier in the day walking in the gym, I'd be like, Harmon passes to Roland Smith who drives, pulls up the elbow and he's got it good, two points, right? Like I just made it, like nobody's going to be fact checking this. Yeah, right. So, and even then it took me forever to come up with this demo. And so I, I sent that into the Gateway Grizzlies and by nothing shy of a miracle, they gave me this job to call two innings of play-by-play -play -play for home games only, and they paid me 70 bucks. And I thought, I had just hit Vegas, baby. Right. You're gonna pay me $70 to come and fart around on the radio when I don't know anything about doing this? You're gonna pay me to do that? Right. <laughs> you guys are fools. So that's how I got started. Well, that dude, that's a romantic story. What are you talking about? The fact that you had to sit up there <laughs> with a giant, like, piece of paper sized rectangle. I know the one, it's got the handle, right? Are you oh, yeah. I mean, it's like you got to, like, giant reel red that thing in. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Just chomps up those huge um, D volt batteries, whatever they are. Those giant <laughs> <laughs> that's $70 would have gone to batteries. That's true. Like, that's a great point. That's especially with the amount of games it took me to get those. That five minutes, yeah, that was probably a good thirty bucks for the batteries. There's no doubt about it. So yeah, it was it was crazy. I can't believe that that's how I got into it and that it actually worked. Because it's like if if the Gateway Grizzlies don't give me that internship, man, like I don't know, 
don't know if it ever happens for real. But this wasn't this wasn't that that long ago, really, right? And you got a late start. And usually, when you're in your twenties, you get to that age where you start feeling like, oh, you know, like the, not a victim mentality, but like, why isn't life working out for me? I mean, it literally took you. You went on to minor league baseball. You mentioned the double A team with the Rangers. Then you went on to uh, Portucket, which, and we've talked about this before. That place just breeds major league broadcasters it's weird man because i remember jeff levering levering was there after you when i was there with the the port target red sox in 2013 and he was great he was really good and boom sure enough he's now with the brewers but you literally didn't get a a serious job and not not, not taking anything away from from minor league broadcasters whatsoever but something where you can say okay now my career is starting to do this until what 29 years old right so it took me when I got the first my first play-by-play job and internship, the seventy dollars a month gig, that was in two thousand seven. Yeah. So I was already a year out of college. I was a, I was exactly a year out of college when that season began, yeah. and I had never broadcast before. Then I, it was funny. I I was a finalist for a full-time independent league play-by-play position with a good team in Lincoln, Nebraska, the Lincoln Salt Dogs. Like I drove to Lincoln from St. Louis, I interviewed in person, like same suit that I talked to Costas in with sweat stains and everything. <laughs> and those the only team that showed any interest in me after my internship season, making 70 bucks a month. And I felt pretty good about the interview, but I also knew that I had no experience really. Mm-hmm. And they hired another guy who, you know, knew what he was doing. And so when they when they made the decision, since it's indie ball and the season starts later than affiliated baseball, yeah. which starts in April, indie ball starts in whatever, May or something. Yeah. I mean, they – I remember I was at opening day at Bush Stadium against like Cardinals and Rockies. And the game got rained out, and I was driving home, and the Lincoln Salt Dogs called me. So this is early, early April, and said, Aaron, we're going with somebody else. So it's mm-hmm. early April, and I have no job prospects at all. I've gone to broadcasting school. I've done this internship making 70 bucks a month. And I now find myself with days before the baseball season starts. And there's not a single girl who wants to dance with me. Right. None have interest. Yeah. So that's why I, I literally picked up the phone and I called every single Cape Cod baseball league team. Summerwood bat starts even later, right? I called them all up. I think there's 10 teams. Honest to goodness, the first nine said no no man like we, we hired our guy like months ago and guess what he's like the top broadcaster at Syracuse we got the best guy at Fordham right we found the, the the best guy at whatever university Arizona State no not only do we have somebody he's three years younger than you and he's way better <laughs> so the 10th team that I called no out there is no way those conversations went like that well that's how it went in my mind that was very clear how it went in my mind the 10th team, the last team that I called, nobody left, the Bourne Braves. By the way, I'd never been to a Cable game, yeah. barely even heard of it. My now wife, then girlfriend Heather's from the Boston area. Her grandparents lived in Cape Cod. She grew up spending the summers down there. She'd been to like 100 Cape League games. She's the one who told me about it. She right. saved my career probably more than once. So I called the Bourne Braves. Hey, my name is Aaron Goldsmith. I'm pretty terrible, but I'm, I'm cheap. And are you looking for a guy? You need somebody to talk about your baseball team on the radio? Tom Fink says, yeah, we're looking for somebody. 
when can you get out here? Wow. And I'm, and I, I said, well, don't you want to listen to my, like, you want to listen to a demo, right? I can mail you a CD or something. And he said, he honestly says, no, you sound fine. <laughs> um, it's like, oh, is the, uh, I don't know anything about this industry, but it doesn't work like this. Like yeah. you don't, you don't call for a play-by-play job and get hired in five minutes over the phone. But that's what happened. Yeah. He hired me over the phone. He asked me when I could get there. And like a month and a half later, I'm driving from St. Louis to Cape Cod. And I'm, I get a landscaping job on Craigslist. I call these games at night over on Skype. We weren't on the radio. I mean, we're, on, we're broadcasting over Skype, man. Like wow. it was the jankiest setup ever. But you know what? I needed innings. Like all I needed were innings. Yeah. It was a brutal summer just from a life standpoint. But I was getting to do what I wanted to do and chase this dream. And even after that year, man, I, I do a third year as an intern. I really thought I could get a full-time job. I was an intern in Portland, Maine for the Red Sox double-A team, the Portland Sea Dogs. Yeah. I applied for the job just because I knew I had to apply for every job. I couldn't be picky. And I thought it was better than the job. Like I thought I was ready to be a lead guy, which I like, wasn't even close to being ready to be a lead guy. But I thought I was. And hyphen, they were the only team that interviewed me. That was the only job offer I got. So I took it. I made 600 bucks a month, lived in Portland, Maine, had the summer of my life. It was amazing. I learned so much. And so now I'm like four years out of college. I've done three internships. I have lost a ton of money. Yeah. Because the job in the Cape League was free. Like it was total volunteer, zero pay. Yeah. So I had lost money. I go back to St. Louis. I move in with a friend. I get a, a job on Craigslist as a professional dog walker, crushing it, right? Walking like six or seven dogs a day, just money hand over fist, man. It's like, here's $10. Yeah, here's $12. Yeah. Uh, I'm a JV assistant basketball coach at night, walking dogs during the day, JV assistant, nothing, nothing more of an ego boost than the assistant JV coach, right? <laughs> like, like assistant to the manager situation going on here. And I apply for this job with the Rangers double-A team, full-time job. And I told Heather, we've been dating for four years at this point. And I said, if I don't get a full-time play-by-play job this winter, like it's done, I'm, I'm done. Right. I'm out and I'm clearly not good enough because again, the only feedback that I get is when people hire me and there are not many people hiring me yeah. to be perfectly frank about it. So I had worked at uh, this culinary store called the Viking store. Vikings is manufacturer of like commercial grade appliances for the home. They make big range, big appliances, ranges, hoods, built-in refrigerators, all this other stuff. And I really enjoyed it. I really, I really loved selling appliances. I was kind of ate it up. I was like appliance. Aaron was my nickname. It was amazing. And so, so I said to Heather, like, man, the regional manager, sales manager who comes in, like he's making a lot of money and he's yeah. selling these like $60,000 kitchens, right? Like I can do that. I can make some good money and I'll be very happy selling appliances for the next 40 years. And I'm like, if I don't get this, if I don't get this job in Texas, I'm going to quit and I'm going to go sell appliances. They hired me and now I'm in Seattle. Yeah. And I'm not selling refrigerators. So it's crazy, man. I was honest to goodness going to give it up because we had to get married. We had to get married. It was time. And I couldn't get married 
as a professional dog walker and assistant JV basketball coach. I couldn't yeah. do it. I've got a question about that. Now, first of all, going back to that opening day, you mentioned you went to opening day at Cardinals. Uh, I can't remember what year that was, but you didn't have a job. Were you at that point looking up to the broadcast booth saying, one day that's going to be me? Like, was that your mentality that I'm like, one day I'm going to be a major league play-by-play? Or were you just like, oh, I'm at the game. Oh, those guys are going to sweet. You know what I'm saying? Like, what was there? What was that thought in your head? Because you just literally found out that day that you didn't get the job with this indie ball team, right? Absolutely. You know, it's funny. I, I don't sh- like. I don't share this with many people because it really has the danger of coming across really badly. <laughs> if I'm going to be perfectly honest about it, but as a professional athlete, I think you can relate to this. Although I'm far from that. When I got into this. Hyphen, like I knew, like I knew I was going to make it to the big leagues, like 100%. Yeah. I like, I had no experience. I had never talked into a microphone. I had never called an inning of play by play, but like, I knew it. Like I'm going to get to the big leagues. I don't know when it's going to happen. It won't happen tomorrow. I don't know when it's going to happen, but I'm going to get there and whatever it takes for me to do, I'll do and I'll figure it out. And I was started at the base of the mountain, man. Yeah. And I got surrounded by great people who cared for me, who taught me and took me under their wing. And I made a ton of mistakes that were many of which were demoralizing at the time. But after a good night's sleep, I learned from them, pivoted and went in a different direction and had to do something better. And you do enough of that enough times and all of a sudden, hey, you're out of any ball. And all of a sudden, I'm actually getting a paycheck out of this thing. Hey, I'm in double A. I'm in triple A. And now I'm in Seattle for eight years. Yeah. Like, but you, for as, as egotistical as that thought might come across, like I'm, I'm going to get there. Yeah. The key to it all is you have to be insanely humble to realize that you know nothing at all. And you have to be a sponge every day and you're going to make mistakes and you have every day you have to get better in some way. Because if not, like every year, there's 200 more kids yeah. who are coming out of college who want to be play-by-play guys. And then two or more hundred after that. And it's it's just a wave that's never going to end. So you have to continue to get better and advance every year. And I, I'm i still blown away that I'm here. And I've been able to raise a family in Seattle and work for a team as gracious and tremendous yeah. as the Seattle Mariners organization and be surrounded by such wonderful people like yourself. Because I could have easily given it up. I could have easily kind of gone off in a different way that wouldn't have taken me here. And for all the people who hired me, man, like they had no business hiring me. <laughs> they really didn't, but they saw something and I developed and I, I grew on their watch and on their dime and I'm better up for it. And hopefully they got a little bit better for it as well. Yeah. Now it's funny. And, and just speaking of that too, hey, and are you good on time right here? I don't want to keep you too long. No, I'm fine. You're good. Okay. You know, I went to the winter meetings last year, 2019. I was down in San Diego and just kind of cruising around. My first time ever at the winter meetings, but right next to the major league lobby of the hotel where you walk in and you're trying to network and all this kind of stuff is that convention center. And I walked in there. I got a pass and walked in there. And there is a thousand young Aaron Goldsmiths rocking up. And some of them are from the Northwest. And some are like, oh, hey, Ryan, like, um, how you doing? I'm, I, I want to get into broadcasting. And I'm like, don't ask me about it because, and I, I gave him your number too. So have you got random people? Oh, good. Me? That's great. That explains a lot. Yeah. No, but I did say, I said, Hey, like, why don't you hit up Aaron Goldsmith on Twitter or whatever? Because 
it's amazing, man. You don't quite realize. And I, I got lucky in a sense that I got a chance to play. And I, when you hear these stories, everything you went through when it comes to the media side of things, like, you know, obviously Rick Riz, same thing. And, and everyone else we work with, where they have this little, you know, this, this feeling, oh, I want to be a, a broadcaster. There's a thousand people. And the thing is with this industry as well, it's not like an athlete where the lifespan of an athlete comes and goes and boom, they just keep bringing up more people. Once you get those jobs and if you're half decent, you don't move. So it's not like there's all these big job opportunities at the major league levels. There's 30 teams, a couple of people in each booth. That's it. So speaking of that, if you were to walk into that convention center and you've got a young kid who wants to get to where you're at, what are some key pieces of advice you would tell them that you think would change their trajectory of them trying to get to where you're at? The most important thing, you got to get on the horse, man. You got to get behind a microphone and you got to call games. Yeah. You have to. It doesn't matter what the sport is. It doesn't matter if you're actually being broadcast over the air. Even if you're the loser in the stands in the back row, like I was calling those six basketball games, trying to make it my first demo, like you got to call games. The only way you get better at this is calling games. You cannot get better by not calling games, yeah. right? Because you have to, like you suck and you got to get the suck out. Like you, and the only way to get it out is to call games and to get better. And it takes a long time. It's not like a, I'll do that for a year type of thing, right? Like I've been doing this for whatever, since 2007. And I still, as we've documented, <laughs> listen to myself and go, man, I got to get better at that. So it's an, it's an always evolving process. It will never end. So first of all, call games. If you're fortunate enough to go to a high school or certainly a college that actually has a radio station and an opportunity to broadcast it live, man, there's, there's nothing that can replicate the feeling of being live, even if it's on a radio station run out of a guy's trunk, because you can't start over, right? You can't mess up and say, ah, okay, three, two, one, like you're live and it's happening and you have to move on from it yep. and decide how you're going to handle a screw up of some kind. So get on a horse, call games, and call as many of them as you can, and as many different sports as you can. And second of all, I mean, kind of like what, what you were doing, talking to some of these kids, network. And I'm not talking about network because you think that this guy is going to help get you a job or that by knowing this guy, then this guy is going to leave, and then the domino effect is going to open up someplace. Like It's not about getting a job. It's about getting better and learning and gaining information. There's not a single one of us in this profession that got here alone. Yeah. Not a single one. We all had help from dozens of people. And hopefully the majority of us who got here with the help of those dozens of people remember that at one point we were the kid in the lobby, right? With the $8 haircut and the cheap suit yeah. eating T-Bell every night trying to get by. One of those things remains true for me to this day. Yeah. So <laughs> you know, it like you have to. And so the point is reach out to people who you look up to and think can help you learn about the industry. And like there are people watching this who probably have no desire to be a broadcaster, but want to do whatever else, some yeah. much higher calling. The same holds true in any other industry, especially when you're a student. There's no better gateway to talking to somebody than to say, I'm a student and I hope to do what you're doing one day. Yeah. Because only a jerk would be like, nah, 
Yeah, we were all true. we were that guy, man. We were yeah. all that guy, and yeah. we have a soft spot in our in our hearts for that guy. So we want to be a part of the journey. Like I, I, any kid who I have the opportunity to talk with, I always say to them at the end, "Hey, keep me posted, man. Like, let me know how the winter meetings go. Let me know how your seasons goes, because like I'm in the very far back seat of this kid's journey, and I I want to know if one day he's going to be up in the booth." At yeah. T-Mobile Park, right? Um, like, I want to know what happens. So get on the horse, call games, and reach out to people, talk to people. You, you might not hit on all of them. Some of them might might give you the stiff arm, but there's going to be a lot of them who, who will want to help because they want to be a part of your journey, and they 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 want to be the person who helped them. And we we all, I hope, feel that way. Yeah, I think I, I think for the most part, I always have to remind myself this because I don't want to bug people. You know what I'm saying? Like, even... Yeah, even bugging you to do this podcast, like for example, it took me a good couple of weeks to be like, oh, hey, you want to jump on here? But human nature really, and you, I feel like you're this way too, that you do want to help people. But 99% of those kids, you'll say, hey man, stay in touch with me. They won't, they won't want to, they won't want to bug you. Not because they're, it's just because they just don't want to, you know, push their limits a little bit. They got quite a bit out of you and they, they feel like, you know, they don't want to, because I do the same thing, man, with young baseball players. I'm like, hey, man, you need anything else on the pitching side of things, reach out. Here's my number. But I'm like, why do they never reach out to me? Hey, I, I want to get back. And again, I don't want to keep you too long here. How did it all happen with the Mariners, right? How, talk me through that process. And this is one of these things that, you know, I guess if you're a young wannabe broadcaster or something, how did that process start? And how did all that happen to get that major league job finally break through? So I just finished my first, and as it turned out, my only season in AAA in Pawtucket, Rhode Island with the Red Sox AAA affiliate in 2012. And the Mariners job was posted. It's funny. Like a lot of people would probably think whoever, quick, hey, whoever gets that. Real quick, posted where? Like how do you, like is that? So there's a website uh, that I I lived on, lived on called uh staatalent.com. It, it stands for Sportscasters Talent Agency of America. Yeah. And it's kind of a twofold website. In some ways, it's kind of like a poor man's talent agency. Like you can get a page on there and you can post your clips and all that stuff, which I did not do, but that doesn't mean it's not a good decision for somebody else. Uh, but the other part of it and that's incredibly valuable is it's, it's like the job board of all things play-by-play. Like from the Seattle Mariners radio job wow. to high school football in Midland, Texas and everything in between. I mean, right. the last, my, the last like four jobs that I got double A intern, double A full-time triple A and Mariners were all on that board. Like that's how I found them. So I'm on that, I'm on that job board, man. I'm clicking refresh like 30 times a day, each off season, just ready to send out a demo. Right. Yeah. So this gets posted and I'm, I'm just a total nobody. I'm 28 years old. I just finished my first year of AAA ball in Rhode Island. And my, you know, my wife's from Boston. We don't have kids yet. We're living a short drive from her folks. I'm calling AAA baseball for the team that's like the cradle of broadcasting in the minors. Yeah. The Paw Sox, as you referenced earlier, they've just like churned out guys. It's unbelievable. Uh, they've had a higher hit rate than any, like maybe every other team combined, it feels like, although that's not true. Uh, and so I'm thrilled that I'm in this really, as far as minor league broadcasting goes, like a 
prestigious position and we're close to family. So this is like a win-win. I feel like we're going to be here for five, 10 years. And that's great. So the Mariners job opens up and it's early fall. And I'm thinking like, there's no way, there's no way I'm getting that job, but I'm a triple A broadcaster. I'm technically one rung below the majors. I am, although there's, as I learned, there's still a huge gap between AAA and the big leagues, right? Even though it is one rung below and even more so for a player, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, and, and so I, like, I, I make a CD and I type up a cover letter and I print off a fresh resume, right? I do all the things, get some references and I put it in the mail and I send it from New England on to Seattle, Washington, a town that I'd never been to before. And it's, it's funny, it wasn't like one of these, well, the Mariners have a short list of candidates and they will only be selecting from the five that they've pre-selected from their previous work experience. No, it was like, it was wide open, man. Like wow. anybody could apply for this thing. And as you might imagine, they got a lot of people who sent in tapes or demos, CDs. And they they joke because they or once they got all the demos, they organized it in alphabetical order by first name. And so I was the first CD that they listened to, which like you're never going to hire the first guy you listen to. Yeah, because something like it never yeah, happens. Sure. Yeah, it's, a, it's later down the road. Right. So the great part was so I send this I put this thing in the mail and I like any job that you apply for, you're kind of like, oh, yeah, maybe, you know, but in reality, I'm like, nah, there's there's no chance. I've just wasted like six bucks to ship this thing across the country. And after a week or two, we got an email from the Mariners that essentially said, we have separated the field of candidates into two piles. One pile of people that we think suck and one pile of people we think that don't suck. Congratulations. You have made the initial cut of people that we don't think suck. And it was like, I got the job. Like, this is enough for me. Yeah. Like, I don't suck. A big league team validates that. Right. I made it through the first round. Honey, Heather and I, we got in the car. We got down to Applebee's, man. Two for 20. Crushed it. Like, full on. Give me the guac and chips. Yeah, right. Like, I'm Just, going extra. Yeah. It, like, no water tonight. Yeah, no water. Right, right, right. It, it's an iced tea night. Okay. Yeah. Like this is happening. Yeah. It was incredible. I was over the moon. It's the first, it was the first validation I'd ever gotten from a big league team. I'm 28 years old. Yeah. Oh, I, I, I can't imagine being in the big leagues for like 10 more years. Right. So a couple of weeks go by again and we get another email that says, Hey, uh, we like your stuff enough that we want to talk to you on the phone. Hey, real quick, what though, in, in those couple of weeks in those couple of weeks and 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 be honest here if you can go back in those couple of weeks you're like oh yeah i'm validated i'm gonna have a, a rock solid next couple of years my confidence through the roof or were you for a couple of weeks going oh i guess i didn't get it like did you like no like, like at that point hyphen at that point man like i had won like i won okay like i know i'm not getting the job and that's fine i'm honestly okay with that they heard my stuff and they don't think it sucks. This right. is amazing. I've been doing this for five, six years at this point. Yeah. And a big and already a big league thing teams, a big league team thinks that I don't suck. <laughs> this is the greatest. This is the greatest. So 
Like at that, I'm not even thinking about the job because I know I'm not going to get it. And lo and behold, I then get an email that says, we want to talk to you on the phone. And now it gets real. And now I get nervous. Like I'm scared now. Like now it's like, now I create hope and expectation. Uh, yeah. And I'm now I'm beginning to dream. Right. And like, if they're talking to me on the phone, they kind of like me. Like I'm a guy now, not the guy, but I'm a guy how that they want to spend you, their time speaking to. How many people did you tell that you were going to talk to the Mariners on the phone? Like, like for example, and, and the reason I try not to do this, but I can't help myself. If like, if it was me, I'd try and keep it to myself and maybe just tell my wife, but I'd still be like, Oh yeah, by the way, the Mariners or, or yeah, Amanda would tell her in-laws. I'm like, Oh, now, now if I don't get it, all these expectations can come shattering. Down. Right. Did you tell a lot of people. No, I'm a total, I'm super private on stuff like that. I told the post docs because they're super supportive of it. Like they want, if the, if the post docs could get a new broadcaster every year instead of the big leagues and just keep that supply chain going, they would be thrilled. So I told them because I knew they'd be excited and my immediate family, but like, that was it. Cause I'm not going to get this job. So I'm not going to embarrass myself that I didn't get it, even though I don't deserve it. So we have this phone interview and there was a snowstorm in Seattle the de- the night before, you know, like like a half, half an inch. Mm. And so nobody went to work the next day. So I'm on the phone in New England, and like the four people that I'm on the phone with in Seattle are all in their homes. Oh man! Yeah. And it's like disjointed and disconnected, and there's these long, long pauses of silence because oh. they're not over, they're not online, they can't see each other, yeah. so they don't know who's going to talk next. And I'm like. In my head, I'm like, this is going awful, right? Like, this has no flow to it. This is dragging. And I hung up the phone and I'm like, I do not think that went well. That that was a bad interview. This is over now. And then we get an email that says, we want to fly to Seattle. Wow. And so I'm at this point, I'm like full freak out mode. Like, you know, the kind of freak out mode, like I go and I buy a tie just for the interview. Like I have no money. Right. I, I thought it'd be like good... I thought it'd be like good juju if I go to Nordstrom to buy a tie yeah. since, you know, Seattle thing. Yeah. So like I go to Nordstrom, bro, I bought a $50 tie for this interview. I, I hadn't spent $50 on anything in my life at that point. Right. Yeah. And it had like, like the tie had kind of like some Mariner colors in it. It was more teal, right. uh, not Northwest green to stay on brand, yeah. but it had like the Navy and teal action going on. I think that'd be good karma. Right. So I go into debt to buy this tie for a job I'm not going to get. Fly out to Seattle, do the whole thing. Like pretty long day of interviews with multiple people in conference rooms like I've never seen before in a big league ballpark. Yeah, wow. Which was incredible. And nobody, just, just quick, nobody, nobody reference. Just back to that. So when you say interview, so what? You sit down with someone. And then they leave, and then what? Someone else comes in. Like, how many different separate interviews are we talking here? So the great thing was at breakfast. My first interview was breakfast at the hotel that I was staying at across the street from the ballpark, and it was with Chuck Armstrong, like, like the top dog at the Mariners. Like, you're gonna start me off wow. at 8 a.m. with like the chief, right? And the funny thing is, like, we're ordering breakfast. It's me, Chuck, and someone else, and. I'm like, what, what should I order for breakfast? Like, what's a professional sounding? I'm overthinking this thing, right? Like, what, like what, what would I, like, I really want, I really want a waffle badly. 
Like this waffle sounds so good. I want the waffle, but like, are you going to hire the guy who orders a waffle with a giant just mountain of whipped cream on top and just like yeah. smashing like you're going like full buddy the elf style, just like drizzling it, <laughs> yeah. like with all the maple syrup that they have. Like, can I get an extra side of maple syrup and a side <laughs> of whipped cream, please? And so I'm like, I can't, I can't order the waffle. And so what do you got? Egg whites? I look at the menu and I think, <laughs> and so I go, I'm like, what's the what's the most professional thing on here? So I order the thing that nobody wants to order. I say, I'll take the um, I'll take the oatmeal, please. <laughs> Like nobody goes into a breakfast restaurant desiring oatmeal. No one. They they do it out of pure guilt and self awareness, self you know their their conscience. So lo and behold, Chuck goes. You know what? That sounds good. I'll take the oatmeal as well. Oh. Did it. One nailed it. Nailed the interview. Nailed the interview. Like I could have said anything. We're oatmeal bros. You know. Yeah. We did it. Yeah. So yeah. So then we do the breakfast thing. Go into the ballpark. Then meet with many other people of high ranking status within the organization. And it was like, it was intense. I mean, I had never been through an interview like that before. Um, and I honestly had no idea how it went. And I went out to dinner that night with the man who eventually hired me, who I owe so much to, you know him well, Randy Adamak, who is I, I like him. an icon in Mariner's front office history. Yeah, I, I owe him a lot too. Absolutely. Yeah, Randy is just like I, I honestly get emotional when thinking about Randy because I think it, it probably mostly came down to Randy to pick the candidate yeah. who would take the job, and I mean he could have he could have chosen ten other guys who would have been just as good if not better, and he chose me. So, I mean he he helped create a life for my family that we would maybe never have otherwise, mm-hmm. and we went out to dinner. And had a great seafood dinner. And I go back to the hotel and remember this tie. I spent 50 bucks on this tie hyphen. This mariner who has some semi mariner's color. And nobody said, hey, man, nice tie. Right. Like nobody acknowledged the tie. And I I vowed to myself, if if Randy calls me and says, I don't get the job, I'm going to ask him, did you at least like my tie? Yeah, right. And so he gives me the job. And then like a year later, I go, hey, man. You remember my tie? He's like, no, I don't remember your tie. We never even noticed your tie. What are you talking about? So I let let it be learned. You know, just just any nice tie for an interview is fine. Don't don't go into debt for a tie. Lesson learned. You know what's funny about that? Speaking of Randy, and uh, you know, again, I I have my own Randy Adamac story. We won't bore you with that right now, but I I do owe him a lot. You know what's funny about that with the tie? I never forget. I didn't think much of it. I bought a suit, nice suit, and I tried to like get some variation with the ties and dress nice. One of the ties I had, we're playing the Angels, and I walk in. It's got some red in it. I remember now. Oh no. And, and the thing is, too, Randy's not that guy, too. He's a great dude, but he's very cut and dry when he talks to you. Like, he, he's very just boom, boom, to the matter of fact, to the point. That's just his personality. And he made a comment. He said, oh, Angel's tire, like this. And I was like, huh? I didn't think much of it. So it's funny. It, it is funny you say that because of these little things, like, not that oh, I'm supporting the Angels or anything. If you're listening, you're like, well, who cares? But it's one of those little things. It's so I'm surprised, man, that no one noticed your tie, especially you know, fifty dollars plus tax at Nordstrom's. That's Thank it. you. And it looked like it looked like at least a forty dollar tie. It's worth noting, you yeah, know. Right. Or at least, or they were like, we're not going to hire this kid anyway, so don't even, don't even bring up his tie. It's terrible. Hey, how many people do you think did they fly out to Seattle to meet with? It was only a handful. 
maybe three or four total. But I remember through the grapevine, right? Like we all know somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody thing. Like the broadcasting community is small, relatively speaking. And like word gets back to me of some of the guys that they're talking to in person. And they, a couple of them had big league experience. Like they had worked for major league teams for multiple years. And when I heard that, I I was honestly okay with not getting the job, yeah. right? It's like, I'm, I'm a nobody. I've been a lead guy for three years mm-hmm. in the minors. Yeah. One year above double A. Like, I'm not going to get this. They're going to go with the guy who's been in the big leagues for years. So at that point, I was kind of like, this is not going to happen. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. I'm 28. And I got a big league in-person interview. Yeah. In three or four or five years, when I am hopefully fortunate enough to get my next in-person interview, I'm going to remember all this stuff and I'll do better next time. Yeah. So it, I, I, they took a real leap of faith hiring me for sure. What did they say when, 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 who called you, Randy? Did Randy call you to say you got the job? Yeah. They said, um, uh, Aaron, do you, uh, do you like coffee? Cause you're going to be drinking a lot of it. You're hired. It was like a very, very like showy thing. It was great. Yeah. I mean, I, I might have embellished. The, I might have embellished the tone a little bit to yeah. more like game showy, but it was like, yeah, do you do you like drinking coffee? Because we'd love to have you in Seattle. And, and uh, I was at McCoy Stadium. Right. I was, at, I was just- at my AAA ballpark when they gave me the call, and I just like like collapsed. I, in fact, I have a picture of me on the ground, like sitting down on the ground, leaning up against the wall on the phone, like in my paw socks, half zip, just like blown away that my life has just changed. And essentially, too, you're replacing the voice of the Mariners, the Dave Niehaus. Did, did, did that ever enter your mind at that early stage? I mean, obviously, you were, you've told me this before. You did do all your re- research on Dave Niehaus before you walked into the lion's den, right? When it came to starting the job and everything else. But did that ever, I don't know, intimidate you or come in your head whatsoever about how important that kind of is? Absolutely. I... I... I knew of Dave prior to the job opening. I knew much more about him and his life when I stepped foot in Seattle for the interview. And I never, and to this date, and I never will, I I never thought of it as replacing Dave. A, impossible. B, right, right, like it's Rick. Like Rick is sliding over to that seat. I'm not sliding to Rick's seat. Like it was the perfect transition. If I had to... If there was no Rick and now I am literally sitting in Dave's seat calling the majority of the innings, like game over, man. Like you're, you got no chance. But the funny thing is the Mariners waited, as many people listening remember, they waited two years to fill the position full time. Mm-hmm. They did this musical chairs thing with Rick. And if they had not waited the two years, hyphen, 0% chance I get the job. Right. Because in those two years, I did my second season as a full-time double-A announcer. And then in the second of the two years, I went to Pawtucket and I was a triple-A guy as a lead. So if they had hired right away, they're hiring after I'd been a lead broadcaster in double-A for a season. No chance. Yeah. So, and and there's the, the feel for the front office, guys like Randy and Kevin Martinez, and I'm sure many other who went into, into making that decision, the feel for, Hey, this is going to take some time. Like we need to, we can't just hire somebody right away. Yeah. 
was the right choice. And <laughs> it was especially the right choice for Goldsmith because otherwise, man, I'm in Pawtucket right now, just kicking it, getting snowed in. Like I'm, I haven't moved at all. So it's funny how that timing all worked out. Yeah. Look, and I, I've kept you way too long. I mean, there's a thousand things I want to ask you here. Do you remember your first game, first major league game? I remember my first spring training game and I remember my first, right. uh, my first spring training game. I was actually more nervous, believe it or not, than my first, Right. Or the opening day with Felix on the mound in Oakland. Yeah. Like I, I, there's never been anyone more nervous for a cactus league game than I was for Mariners Padres charity game in Peoria, man. Right. Yeah, for sure. I remember, I remember them very clearly. You know, it's funny speaking of that. And this is why I'm bringing it up now. First of all, you know, that first home run call, I'm sure you, you, you probably tried to manufacture another level of energy or, or some, some, you know, some sort of unique tone or whatever it may be. But the reason I bring that up is because my first ever radio game in the booth that you were a part of um, against the Cubs in spring training. And I remember driving there just shaking and Kevin Kremen texted me. <laughs> he's like, hey, Rick's not feeling good. Come over. We just need a body in the um, in the booth. I was like, what? And I was, it was kind of good that if I'd known days prior, I would have been, been a wreck. But So I'm driving over again. Okay, don't freak out. And the one thing I'm thinking of, because I remember the year prior to that, I came up to... I met you the year before that and Rick had mentioned uh, one thing about he, I swear to God, the one thing about this kid is he has some big calls. Like he, he has, he, he mentioned something about you sitting next to him. Cause I knew who you were. Obviously I followed the Mariners and everything else. So there I'm driving over. I'm like, man, I'm going to, cause Rick, uh, Kevin said that you were going to be doing the game and I was going to sit next to you. And I was like, okay, man, if something big happens, just clear out because this is like the one kid and he's got these big calls. I'm like, just keep your mouth shut. I was so nervous, man. I never forget. But I remember that first game and and i got to say thank you. I probably haven't had a chance to say this, but thank you for, for bringing me in and asking me questions and making me feel a part of it. I, I remember that clear as day. It was awesome. Well, we've been, we've been waiting years for a thank you hyphen. So it's nice <laughs> that it's finally formally documented here. Yeah. No, in one of the... One of the best times that I've had uh, during my, I'm very grateful for my eight years so far with the Mariners, is when, um, you know, when the entire broadcast crew went down with surgical injuries um, in yeah. Minnesota a couple of years ago. Right. And and you uh, you took over uh, with Gary on radio. And we were in Cleveland and you, me, and Gary went out to dinner and awesome. had a great meal. And it was awesome having you on the road, man, like yeah, as fun. one of the like at least temporarily, like one of the full-time broadcasters. And it was awesome. We don't get to eat dinners on the road as much as uh, maybe perception might be yeah. because, you know, most of the games are at night. But uh, to be able to have a great meal with you and Gary in Cleveland was a ton of fun. And it kind of gave, gave a glimpse of like, hey, having a hyphen around like daily uh, and outside of just the booth is awesome. This is really cool. So that was fun. I'm glad that that was able to happen. That was fun. And I, I, Gary, man, Gary Hill Jr. I miss that guy as well, man. He, he was him and I had a blast together. You got you were doing TV the whole time. I was doing radio with him, and uh, that's where I heard the Bob Costa story that you've now removed from your wall. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. You know, when when that happened, by the way, and I sit next to Gary on the plane. He's one of my best friends. When we took off for that road trip, we started talking about how odd everything was. Right? Gary's like the lead guy on radio. I'm on TV. Dave and Rick are laid up. Dave had the Achilles, Rick yeah. had the blown bicep tendon or whatever. And um, Gary said to me, I think this is the first time in the history of the Mariners that we will have a broadcast of a regular season game without 
Dave or Rick? Wow. That's crazy. And Gary knows, I mean, he grew up here. He's been a Mariners fan his whole life. He, he'll always know more Mariners history than me, especially when it comes to like the lifelong broadcast of Mariners baseball on both platforms. And I'm like, it, it has to be like, this is a, Unfortunately, a very sad day for Mariners fans watching and listening. <laughs> but uh, pretty good career break for, for me and Gary. You, you know, it's funny that Rick Riz, I came in, and I'm, I'm just like pumped up. I'm so excited. Amanda and I literally just moved back to Seattle full time. So we had a moving truck. Amanda's pregnant. She's on her own. Like, I'm like, see ya. I'm on a 10, 10 day road trip, just living the dream. <laughs> and I walk into the last, it was a Sunday afternoon game in Seattle, and, and there's Rick. And I'm, I'm just like, just glowing. I'm like, oh, I can't believe I get to go on the plane and do this and do it every day, whatever. And poor Rick's there. He's in tears. He goes, I can't believe this is my first road trip. Oh, I'm this. telling you, man, he was like legitimately, yeah. Rick was legitimately depressed that he was going to miss a road trip. Yeah, big time. He was. He called me like literally every other day and said, hey, I think you're doing a great job. Um, I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, Rick, like making sure I'm okay. He's, I mean, again, great dude. But yeah, he was... That day, I was like, I'm trying to contain my excitement because I didn't want to upset him, you know? But anyway, that, that was good time. So, yeah, Aaron, this has been awesome. I don't want to keep you too long. I know you're outnumbered in the uh, Goldsmith household right now. It's nearly dinner and bedtime. It's it's morning time over here in Sydney. But um, I do have one thing, I, I, one favor I do need when I do get back to um, Seattle. We The stovetop microwave, the fuse blue. And I will need some uh, some advice and some appliance, and maybe you can shift it in there. Some appliance assistance. For, you know what, Hyphen? You've come to the right guy. When, when we hop off this, let's uh, powwow for another 30 minutes or so. We'll walk through all the options for you. It'll be great. Let's do it. I want to talk about brands. I want to talk about you know some of the, the efficiency and everything else. Absolutely. All over it. Aaron, this has been fun, man. I, I appreciate it. And uh, hopefully we can do it again. Hopefully I'll see you for a full 162 coming up in 2021. Hey, man. Here's open. Thanks for having me, Hyphen. It's been fun seeing you again. Hey, how are we doing? I hope you enjoyed that episode, man. That got me fired up for spring training, Peoria, Seattle Mariners. What are we going to see this year? Now, it was fun talking to Aaron Goldsmith, one of my favorite people. Classic story. Love the Bob Costa story. I can listen to that over and over. So good. Make sure you subscribe. Make sure you leave a review, www.thetopstep.com. You can find out where you can listen to this podcast. It's on Apple. It's on Spotify, Stitcher. Keep supporting the podcast. I love doing this. I'm going to have another episode for you next week. We'll see you then right here on the Top Step.